Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light, a college football editor with The Athletic, and I'm joined by Ari Wasserman, our national recruiting writer at The Athletic. Ari, how you doing, bud? I'm doing well. How are you, bud? I'm very good. Um, Usually, we've got a plan. We do have a plan, but there's just so much to talk about. I'm going to start the show on with the question, what do you want to talk about first? There are so many things we could lead with. I am pretty overwhelmed right now with all the things that are happening, and we have seven days to go. And after we're done with this podcast, we have to talk about what I need to write the next few days. Um, but I think the most interesting thing is probably Mario Cristobal, right? And in, in the the waves of what that move from Oregon to Miami means, not only for Oregon, but what it means for Miami and also USC. Um, I don't know what it is that's in the air, Mitch, but is this the most um, – prevalent time in the history of or at least the modern history of college football where coaches are going from powerhouse to powerhouse yeah i I think it's it's and i guess when you have coaches going from powerhouse to powerhouse it just seems like in this cycle more programs are being affected by recruiting because when lincoln riley goes to usc that affects every other school that recruits california when cristobal am i gonna say it wrong every time cristobal uh, Anybody who listens to this podcast just has to accept that you can't yeah, pronounce I just, his name. It's a mental yeah. block. I apologize to Mike, our producer, who is a, uh, a, a, a even bigger fan now of the new head coach at Miami. But like he goes to Miami, and we're going to talk about this. How does that affect other schools that recruit against Oregon? How does it affect schools that go against Miami? It just seems like there's more tentacles to these coaching moves than ever before. That's why there's so many things to talk about. Yeah, it's just me. But I feel like Cristobal's move from Miami or from Oregon to Miami is the first one that isn't really predicated on more likely uh, positive results in the recruiting trail. Because I, 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 let me just ask you this flat out. Do you think that you're more apt to recruit a better class at Oregon or a better class at Miami? And I, there's there's different ways of looking at it, right? One, Oregon has the the Nike money. They've become synonymous and a cool brand for all the young kids who are going through. I mean, you know, the uniforms and and all that stuff. And, you know, they played for national championships when a lot of these kids were first coming up into the game of football. So they remember that. I think Oregon is still kind of a sexy place just because of its brand. But then in Miami, of course, you have access to a ton of talent in your state. That state, however, is the most competitive state in America to recruit in. So like, to me, Mario Cristobal going to Miami is a let's go home type of scenario. Whereas like Lincoln Riley to USC or Brian Kelly to LSU, you could make straight line um, assumptions or conclusions that they are going to recruit better teams and better classes there. Um, but yeah, I, I was not stunned because everybody, I think people forget that coaches are people and, and they have career aspirations and, you know, they want to do what they want to do. And it's not just money, but 
they'll be maybe crystal ball will just be happier in miami but this one was kind of a head scratcher to me i don't think it was a head scratcher just because it it's it's home and he it's his alma mater it's strong ties there and to answer your question you know if this is 10 15 years ago and you're asking where can you recruit better classes it's no doubt about it miami but he was thriving as a like had his own little pond there you know he was he was the big fish in that northwest pond and he was taking advantage of usc being down so there's clearly not the access to players at oregon but he was maximizing every advantage he had there where now at miami there's a lot more players obviously but there's so much more competition. And, and does he continue to recruit national? Does he continue to go into Texas? I don't know if you had a chance to read Bruce Feldman's story uh, on Mario coming home. I, I, I edited it, and there's a great quote from uh, Mario. I'm just going to call him Mario at the end, like we're buddies. Uh, yeah, let's do it. That he, he said when he was out recruiting for other schools, whether it be Alabama or Oregon, and he'd see a Miami coach you know, walking through the airport with the, the Miami polo, he said he would just roll his eyes. He's like, what are you doing getting on a plane? You don't need to get on a plane if you're the Miami head coach. You just need to get in your car and go recruit South Florida. Now, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but that just tells you how much more, how many more players he has access to. So, like, my Oregon signed the number six class in the country last year in the 2021 cycle. So, are we going to sit here and say he's going to recruit better at Miami? I don't think so, but I think he's going to elevate Miami's recruiting enough to make them a bigger factor in the ACC. Now, the question with him, which aren't questions with Lincoln Riley and some of these, and Brian Kelly, who made these big moves, can he coach him up enough to maximize that talent? Something He won 10 games in Oregon two years ago. He won the Rose Bowl. But for the most part, I would say his teams have underachieved. This year's team underachieved. I know you'll make the point, and I agree that all this great talent is still young, but his roster was more talented than Utah, and Utah bullied him around two times down the stretch there. So he has not proven himself to consistently have his teams live up to the talent where Lincoln Riley has and Brian Kelly has. Here is my view of it, though. Lincoln Riley's job as a recruiter got undeniably easier at USC. Yes. Brian Kelly's job as a recruiter got undeniably easier at LSU. I think Mario Cristobal, despite the fact that he is closer to talent everybody knows there's a ton of talent in florida and miami got harder i think that's a fair point you you can make that argument easily like i said it was you kind know, of my what i said about he had his own little pond out there and he had a, the ball was rolling you know and, and he was it was cool to go to oregon i think he will you know make it cool to go to miami again it's just how many of those south florida kids the, the, the key will be how many of those what, – what's the number you always point to? Seven of the top 15 guys in the state of Florida went to Alabama. Went to Bama. In 21 cycle. How many of those yeah. guys are going to go to Miami now? Can he, can he pull two or three? Can he pull more than that or none? That's going to be – that's going to determine how successful he is. People like to point this thing out, this one elephant in the room. When you use the top 15 players in the state of Florida – uh, in the 247 composite, a lot of those kids go to IMG because it's a, what's it, a boarding school? How do you call it? A boarding school or a talent factory yeah. that recruits kids? Well, how many do? Kids. Two or three? Yeah, I mean, and some are it from skews Florida. the numbers. Yeah. It does. But here's the thing, and it'd be an interesting case study. Um, maybe we should do this. I don't know. It's a good, that's why I like podcasting. You come up with ideas. Every single time there is a top 150 player in Miami, 
Miami is going to be the closest program or big time program to that player. But every single time Mario Cristobal goes up uh, for one of those prospects, he's going to have to beat Alabama every single time. And if you go look at the number six class that Oregon assembled last year, I'm sure that there were a few prospects that Alabama had offered. And, you know, they had commitments from a five-star prospect in this year's class who just decommitted. Kelvin Banks, right? Um, Kelvin Banks, who I believe had an Alabama offer. Or if he wanted to go to Bama, he'd be certainly welcome there. But it wasn't every single time. And to me, that is a daunting task. Um, And Miami hasn't recruited terribly. You know, if you go look at the... If you go look at the way that they recruited in the 2021 class, you'd find some favorable results. I think Miami finished number 11 overall. um, And in that 11th ranked class with 22 commitments, there were uh, multiple five-star prospects from Miami in that class. Leonard Taylor from uh, Miami Palmetto and James Williams, who went to American Heritage in Fort Lauderdale, which counts as Miami to me. They've done it. I'm not saying that they won't be able to do it, but Keeping kids home is always a main tenant of the stories that we write and edit. I think keeping kids home at Miami is a lot harder than keeping kids home in Louisiana. It's a lot harder than keeping kids home in Columbus, Ohio. And I think it's a lot more difficult than keeping kids home in in L.A. And I understand that Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama are still recruiting Los Angeles prospects. And Lincoln Riley isn't just going to have a free take of everybody. But the inherent advantage of West Coast you know, living and how far away because Alabama, I think you can you drive from Miami to Bama in like seven hours or six hours. No, how far is it? I probably 15 hours. You think it's 15 hours of Tuscaloosa? It's there's uh, no way it's like 15 hours from Nashville. So, okay, maybe it's 12 or 13. Are you are you doing I'm gonna right Google now? it right now? Yeah, okay. But a lot of Miami in this, we don't we're want to talk about recruiting here. It's not just. Oh, wow. It is 12 hours. Okay. So I thought they were neighboring states. Uh, a a so lot of that. They would be a little bit closer. Things but it that, is, that it, Mario is going to do there is, you know, I think Manny Diaz is well liked. People think he's a good guy and a pretty good coach, but there was a lot of culture issues there, locker room issues that he spoke openly about. So it's not just access. It's not just bringing the talent. It's keeping everyone happy and that's another problem when you bring it, when you, I think any, any coach will tell you this, when you have a lot of local kids, that means you got a lot of local parents and a lot of local uncles and friends who think they know what's best for their friend, their son. So that, that adds another element to a head coach that has to deal with culturally in that locker room. Uh, but I, I'm fascinated by this. I think it's, it's one of those college footballs better when Miami's good. Like I think Lincoln Riley going to USC, as we've talked about this, is good for the sport. It's better when there's a power out out west and when it's USC. So I think this is a, a good move for college football. Yeah, I think you can make the case that Oklahoma is going to be good no matter who their coach is because it's Oklahoma. And there are certain programs that are just put into a position that uh, you know, from fan support, administration, buy-in, financially, all those things – are just propped up to do well, and Oklahoma is one of those programs. And it's funny because USC and Miami, who in my childhood were the two biggest teams in the sport, aren't. You know, they've been down for long periods of time. If USC, uh, Miami, Oregon, Oklahoma, hopefully one day Texas, um, Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson, Georgia are all really good at the same time, I think that would be great. 
and people seem to like the parody in the sport right now um, with two teams making the college football playoff that you never would have thought would have before the year started. Um, and that's cool. But also, in this year's playoff, there's two teams in it that aren't equipped to win it, and that kind of sucks. So to me, if there's a more widespread result, 66, remember the, the stat we say every episode, 66 of the top 100 players in the country in the 2021 cycle went to five different schools. If it was 75% of the top 100 players went to 10 schools, that would be great. And I think yeah. that it's possible that that could happen uh, a little bit more frequently. But like even in the 2022 class, the story we put up on Wednesday afternoon, there's a chance that half of the top 100 players are going to go to Texas A&M, Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. And it's just like, okay, like Texas A&M's a new, and I'm sure we'll get to that, is a new uh, blood in that category, even though they've recruited pretty well traditionally. This is a new height. But you want to see that talent dispersed, and the way that that talent becomes more dispersed isn't a rule change. It's not a star's cap. It's not a salary cap for assistance. It's getting high-powered coaches that are expensive as hell to coach and recruit at programs that didn't have coaches that were in those positions earlier. And that's what's happening in this offseason. Like LSU, I didn't mention in that in that mix. You know, Brian Kelly is a CEO, you know, hiring some pretty important pieces to his staff that can help him keep you know, Let's talk Louisiana. about one of those. You know, I think that maybe yeah. might end up being the most important assistant hire in this entire cycle. Uh, hiring Frank Wilson away as the head coach, current head coach at McNeese State. Frank Wilson was the head coach, uh, assistant coach at LSU from 2010 through 2015. Before that, was at Tennessee. Did it? He's from New Orleans. Coached at Edna Carr in New Orleans. Just a guy that you need on your side if you're the head coach at LSU. Again, he hired him away from a current current. You know, I'm sure he's making more money as an LSU assistant than McNeese State. So that was huge. He's bringing Brian Polian along with him as special teams coordinator. But we all thought that Brian – we knew Brian Kelly would recruit well at LSU because LSU coaches recruit well. But just having Frank Wilson luring him I think is a great sign for LSU fans that, yeah, this guy, he gets it. He knows what's important. Yeah. Um, he's an outsider. His entire offen- His entire career as a head coach has been in the Midwest, mostly in Michigan and then in South Bend. Um, and then Cincinnati, so a little in Ohio, and like those were great places and stops for you to recruit to Notre Dame. You know, being a Midwestern guy, Notre Dame is obviously crucial. He doesn't know anything about Louisiana, even though he has a Southern accent. So like, it's just an interesting take on what it's going to be. And it's like with Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, you view him as a CEO type coach, the type of coach that's going to delegate to his assistants other things. Uh, to do, and he's going to run the program. But like people like Wilson are going to be the lifeblood of that program. And if you take a look at what is out there still uh, in Louisiana in the 2021 cycle, there's a lot of really good players out there. Um, you know that are uncommitted. Some, some recent, some recent hits though. You know, and, and we're seeing it with all these programs, the new coaches will get to Florida, uh, but LSU suffering some recent decommits. Um, in addition to Mac, you know, Max Johnson, the quarterback. Uh, transferring his younger, what's his brother's name? Luke, is that it? The the, the yes. uh, top one hundred tight end from Georgia, uh, decommitting. So, um, but there's but still plenty of top tier yeah. talents in Louisiana who remain uncommitted, though. That LSU is going to be Jacoby Matthews, Kendrick Law, Shaz Preston, uh, Quincy Wiggins. Uh, who am I forgetting? Javante Citizen, Austin Osbury. Like there are six or seven guys. I think it's possible that LSU could sign eight of the top ten players in their own state and all of them for the most part are top hundred prospects. 
And like right now their class sits at 15, even after the decommitments, like Kelly is going to have to work infinitely less as a recruiter and a coach, uh, to get top 10 classes. And he should be able to sign legitimate top three, top four classes, the types of classes that Notre Dame just hasn't signed in the last three or four years. So, and I know that Notre Dame has been in the top five for the most of this year, but as the cycle continues and all these commitments come flurrying in, in the next seven days, they're going to fall backwards because they just don't have the top hundred prospects propping it up. LSU is a top hundred prospect machine. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, that's that's going to be my next point. Uh, Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. Can he elevate? Will he elevate Notre Dame's recruiting again, which has been very solid? Can he elbow his way into that top tier where he's? I think on the edge of the. I, you know, I don't think top three is a stretch where he's. You know, every other year or so, Notre Dame can get a top five class. He's off to a great start in two thousand twenty three. I don't know if I made the comment on this show. I made a comment on a show and people got mad. I said I thought it was weird that Notre Dame hired Marcus Freeman when they could have had potentially his former boss who has Cincinnati in the playoff. And people got really wound up about that. Did I say that to you? No, I think you said it with uh, uh, on uh, A to B. Four to six. I, I think I, I might have been wrong about that because the way that the – Notre Dame team reacted to that in the way that people seemed to feel like it was addition by subtraction. Like, cause let me just say it. Ke- Brian Kelly is just not a likable dude. Right. And if you're not a likable dude, that's going to take a hit or cause problems in your quest to be a good recruiter. So if you put somebody in there that helped Notre Dame reach the potential ceiling that it was under, under Brian Kelly, what would it take for Notre Dame? Three or four more top 100 players a cycle, which is a lot. It's, it it's doable. It's, it's doable, do, But though. it's doable. And if you do it for four years straight, that means when Notre Dame makes the playoff in 2025, they will have 13 or 14 more top 100 players on their roster and thus will be much more ready to compete and potentially win a football game against Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, or Clemson when they see them. So, like, that to me is is the whole thing there. So... I want to go back to I one of your points, though. Like, I think that if you go back and look at the history of schools hiring coaches because the current players want them, it's not, you know, it's not going to be a spotless record by any stretch. You know, that, that's, why, that's why there are adults in the room. Sometimes you're going to make the best hire and not just the one that's popular at the moment there. I yeah, like, but I also I, think, too, that, that hiring a coach is such a crapshoot. Yes. And we talk about that all the time. It's like you could go find the guy that you think is tailor-made – to run a program and that guy sucks. Yeah. So taking a swing at a young coach who let's be honest, was one of the most coveted uh, coordinators in America from a defensive standpoint. Last two years. Yes. He was probably one year away from getting hired somewhere anyway. Like everybody in Ohio state land wanted him to be the highest paid coordinator in the country and to go work at Ohio state. If he would have done that for one year, he would have been a head coaching candidate anyway. It's like, is it that early? I mean, it's a risk. It's going to be hard. Uh, he has a learning curve, 
But if he's a better recruiter than Brian Kelly, which I think based on just his personality and the way that his team has reacted to him, I think it's a safe assumption that he probably is. That really isn't that huge of a risk. And I don't think that they hired him only because the players wanted it. He's very well-respected X's and O's as well. Right, right. And and he's been their best recruiter. So, you know, and I loved the way that he attacked his press conference and said, hey, if, if I'm a recruiter, I have to be the best at it, which means he understands the game. So is this going to work out? Uh, maybe. But I think you could say that about every single hire moving forward because so many of them fail when we think they won't. Right, and that's that's the uh, that's the gamble worth taking. If he turns out to not to be a great CEO for some reason, you know he's still going to have great players. He's going to recruit well. So I can, I'd much rather have great players than a good CEO. I knew you'd say that. I want to transition now into Billy Napier. But well, would you not? Yeah, no, I agree. That's why I'm agreeing. Yeah. He's like, he is yeah. worth... Okay, because you know I live here in Nashville, and and I was on a radio show, and people asked, "Hey, he said if Clark Lee would have stayed at Notre Dame as a defensive coordinator for one more year, would he be the head coach at Notre Dame now?" And I said, "It's possible. He was well liked there, but Clark Lee was a fine recruiter at Notre Dame, but nothing special. Where Marcus Freeman is an exceptional recruiter. So if you're Notre Dame and you're going to take a risk on a first time head coach as your defensive coordinator, it's far easier to take the risk with a Marcus Freeman, who you know is going to be a superb recruiter, than Clark Lee. And I think that's 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 what makes the risk worth or taking. Or Barton Simmons would be the recruiting coordinator at Notre Dame right now. I don't know. He said he wouldn't leave Nashville, so I don't know, but he might be. Um, okay, so you talked about Marcus Freeman's great press conference, winning the press conference on a recruiting front. Billy Napier at Florida, a lot was made about what he said or didn't say. You commented on it at his press conference. Now, he also went on to say, this is a talent acquisition business, and we're going to work tirelessly in this area. But he also made a point that he wasn't over-promising, said they're not going to sign guys just to sign guys in the early signing period, which is fine, but he went into the whole, we're not going to pay attention to the stars, we're going to evaluate, we're going to develop. How concerned would you be if you were a Florida fan? So I got asked a question. In the mailbag, right? Specifically about that question. So I reacted to the question, and my reaction is, if somebody asks you about competing against uh, against Georgia and Alabama, which the question did, if you're the head coach who's at his introductory press conference at Florida, don't go into the bullshit about how stars don't matter. Read the room. You're going to evaluate. Like, literally, two weeks ago, the head coach of Florida was fired because he was a crappy recruiter and didn't care enough or give it enough credence to respect the importance of it in a news conference. So I'm not saying that Billy Napier isn't going to be successful or that he hasn't had a proven track record um, at previous stops, you know, working for Saban and such to show that he understands what needs to be done or that he won't be good at it. I just took exception to the idea that that he reacted to that specific question about it because Florida fans are just craving somebody to get up there and be like, bro, we're going to kick the <laughs> shit out of everybody in recruiting. We are Florida. We're the best, and we're going to get every five-star prospect that we can on the campus, and we're going to sign as many players as we can. It's like, can't you just acknowledge that? It's like, I feel like the development crap and the – these stars don't matter stuff is like a defense mechanism from people who aren't confident enough in doing it. And I'm not saying that Billy Napier isn't confident in his ability to recruit to Florida, but it's like 85% of your job is this. So why are we downplaying it? Why can't we lean into it? And everyone knows you're going to develop players. Kirby smart, the best recruiter. It's an unsaid part of the job. Kirby smart is a three-star defensive tackle 
who's turned they've developed into one one of the best defensive players in the country. Now, is there a chance everybody develops? It's right. not a thing. Like it's yeah, if like you're, if you you're, have to develop. Right. Here's is there a chance that Billy Napier? You know how coaches tunnel tunnel vision these guys get. They are he's a Lafayette, Louisiana Lafayette. He's just working on the Sun Belt. He's not paying attention to anything. Is there a chance that he wasn't even aware of the the crap that Dan Mullen said? I don't said? know how you could be. I don't know how you could not be. Aware. You'd be surprised. Sometimes coaches have no clue what's going on. Yeah, I. Oh, what did what did Nick Saban say a couple years ago? He didn't know it was election day. Remember that? Yeah. Well, I don't know when it's election day either. I'm not very political. I guess it's impossible not to know it's election day. Did, know, five like years ago, thing. no problem. Now everybody it is, at the athletic yeah. got the day off. So, um, you know, that's. I didn't. I had to edit your stuff. Yeah, well, it's, probably it's a twenty-four-seven. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I. What was your question? I was just saying, is there a chance he didn't know? But then you oh. said no. Now, okay, but you have to, you have to prepare for. If you're going to have an introduction, well, the AD press needs to go in and to, say, okay, here's some hey, things listen, you need. Bud, yeah. yeah, you're going to win the you, press you conference. To, you, you need to talk about these things. And if you take a job, don't you want to know why the previous person failed? Good point. And if you don't, then that's not preparation that I would want from a coach that's making eight or nine million dollars a year, like he's going to be. So Florida, this was a little bit of a surprise. Nick Evers, their their four star quarterback from uh, from Flower Mound, Texas. Um, Great pizza in Flower Mound. Is it really? Okay, uh, never been. North of Dallas, in between yes. Dallas and Denton. Okay, uh, decommitted one of four star, one of three four stars to decommit from Florida in the past two days. The problem is, is that. Evers is a quarterback, and as we always talk about, there's not many quarterbacks. There's really no quarterbacks on the market. He is the highest ranked uh, right now on the open market. Maybe they try and flip someone. I'm trying to think off the top of my head that their their quarterback room. They got Emory Jones was a fourth year junior. Anthony Richardson is a soft or second year player. I don't know what they have behind them, but you pretty much have to sign a quarterback in every class. So I think that'll be interesting to see what they do over the next week if they're able to flip someone. My guess is they probably can if they want to because they're the University of Florida. Yeah, I'm trying to to go and look and see like who the top quarterbacks are, but he is the highest rated by far quarterback right? left in the. Uh, 2022 and you see just while you're doing that did you see tcu got uh josh hoover uh from indiana uh flipped flipped him yeah from uh i think he's a texas kid i'm not sure but uh wow indiana's uh indiana's whole whole thing fell apart talk about a program we haven't talked about indiana (laughs) at all they still got dason mccullough uh the yeah because his dad works yeah but they were coming off last year with the season they had and the way they were recruiting Talk about a program with a ton of momentum. It just tells you how hard it is to sustain if you're not one of the elite yeah, programs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, building a program is really hard. Yeah. And, and now I Purdue people, is Purdue had the better year this year. Purdue's in I, the bowl game. You know, it's crazy. And I pissed a lot of people off. Like, I don't know. Did you go look at the comments from the mailbag yesterday? I did not. No. I, it was. It I was didn't even write them, and there. I get. I don't like looking at the comment. Like, they're, yeah. I feel bad. Yeah. For you. you don't have to. You don't have to look at them. It's fine. <laughs> you got thick skin, but like the, buddy. I, the idea, though, of saying that Michigan has to do more to sustain their success caused so much anger from people. Like th- that was very pro like, Michigan. you everything you I said know, was pro Michigan, like, but like, it's just like, do people think that all you have to do is beat Ohio state one time or win 10 games at another place one time. And that like all the problems are solved. Like, is that what people think college football is? Like, I don't Fans understand. live in the moment. They have confidence in their team and their coach. They, Kick the crap out of Ohio State. They think they've turned the corner and all is well. So it's well. over. That's it. Yeah. There's no. There's no more work to be done. They they reached the top of Mount Everest and they're going to play for national championships every year. 
It's like you would think that it's just common sense that you, you'd view this as the biggest success of the Harbaugh era, but you also would take it with a grain of salt and understanding that, hey, there's a great opportunity here to potentially play for a national championship in 2021. But now you hope that the success of this year translates into more elite recruiting results so that this isn't a flash in the pan. Is that like a controversial thing to say? Not at all. I got your back, buddy. Yeah. I Well, you know what? It's okay. The comments don't bother me. I'm just sometimes confused by the temperament of them. Like I, like I, because you're, you're not be- bringing emotion to it. They're bringing emotion to their comments. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I I thought it was very positive, Michigan discussion. All right. All right. We're, we're like at least, I think, 30 minutes into this thing, and we haven't even talked about Quinn Ewers yet. Now, I know he's a transfer. Oh, wow. He's not. Well, I didn't know we were going to talk about him because he's a transfer, but I think it does make sense because it is recruiting, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, okay, I, how, do you think there's going to be a certain point where transfers just blend into recruiting discussions? Well, I, you know, I look at your mailbag every week, the questions, because I pick some that aren't that you don't use, and it seems like every week there's someone. Hey, Ari, when are they going to? When's two four seven going to start using? You know, transfers is part of their and is part of their. Uh, but it's like a two separate. Yeah, like, it's like it should not be. Like, yeah, bringing so high school talent putting, is still going to be the most important thing you do do you think that i should include like should there have been a quinn ewer section in my recruiting column today no no definitely not do you think like there will be a time where there will be we actually do someone asked about uh the athletic having like a a, a uh, transfer portal writer we do daniel shirley is our uh, like kind of like i spearhead the recruiting coverage daniel shirley yeah. spearheads our transfer coverage and we have a little carousel on our homepage about transfer so we we do we i think max olson's written something we do have a column like every once in a while and Matt Fortuna, who do write about transfers. So he, he's interesting, though, because I, I think I was listening to you and Bill on your pod that he's basically like a high school recruit now because he he he, he reclassified. Yeah, his transfer is a little bit different than other transfers right, because he's, he's still he's, a 2022 kid. Right. He's um, But it came on the heels of Devin Brown. And the whole thing with Ohio State was they weren't going to sign a quarterback this year until Ewers reclassified. And then it looked like it was either going to be Either Devin Brown or only Devin Brown or Drew Aller, who they success, who they're unsuccessful in trying to flip from Penn State. So a couple days after Devin Brown commits, Quinn Ewers transfers. Now I don't think it had anything to do with that, um, but just in, in in Landis wrote about this too. The whole thing just it just seemed weird from the get go, and now he's going to go to either Texas Tech or Texas, I guess, and throw for a bunch of yards. And it's it's going to be fascinating to watch him versus C.J. Stroud, him versus Devin Brown or Kyle McCord going forward. So, yeah, we don't need to spend a lot of time on it because he's a, he's a, he's a transfer, but he's such a notable recruit that we haven't really talked about. Yeah, I, I wonder where he'll end up. I mean, I saw Texas Tech had some momentum. That would be very interesting. Um, but I just, like, assume that when he announced he was transferring, it would be to Texas. Yeah, that – because it's where he was initially committed. And, and they don't Sark have – Sark is an offensive guy. They don't have a quarterback. Like, it seems yeah, they, to me that makes the most sense. Right. So, but, but like if he ends up at Texas Tech, that would be odd. And if he ends up, but like you know, McGuire has, yeah, you know, assembled a really Texas-friendly staff, so maybe that'll have something to do with it. And A&M has Connor Wegman coming in, so I don't know. I don't think A&M's pursuing him. I think I saw that where they, you know, they they like what they've got there. Um, yeah, I mean, if Quinn Ewers is as good as he's supposed to be, I don't know how anybody would not pursue him. I would take him at any program in America because you want that person on your roster. And if he turns out to be what we think he is, then, you know, he changes programs. I think that it's possible that Texas, you know, it's so easy to fall into the temptation of Texas is going to be back. But if Texas gets a 
legitimate quarterback who is really, really that good, that could be the fortune that helps turn the tide back into positivity. So I am very excited to track his career, and I am off the Texas bandwagon. Anybody who listens to the Andy Staples show knows that I've been sucked into the trap too many times, and I'm not going to go back in. But I will most certainly be tracking Quinn Ewers, what he does, and how it turns out for wherever he ends up. Could Quinn Ewers do for Texas what Deshaun Watson did for Clemson? Take a solid roster and elevate them to win it all and start a mini dynasty. Sounds like a good sounds like a good column to me. I'm not going to write it because yeah, you, you can't put your name on something yeah. like that. <laughs> um, I think uh, it's funny that we're almost uh, 40 minutes into this podcast now. And we still haven't talked about like USC's big week and Texas A and M. The Texas A and M's big week. Let's talk I Texas A and M first. All right, let's do it. Since it'll be a nice segue from yours. So they was it yesterday, kind of out of the blue, but I guess if you've been following it, maybe his recruitment closer. But a few weeks, a few months ago, maybe a month ago, Gabriel Brownlow Dindy, uh, kid from Florida, committed to Oklahoma, and then just I saw it pop on Twitter yesterday that he flipped to Texas A and M. I guess the the final straw was there that that, and we haven't talked about Brent Venables yet. Brent Venables not keeping any of the defensive staff at Oklahoma, and that's kind of who he committed to. So. Texas A&M, another five-star. You wrote it. I asked if this, today if this headline was okay with you, flat out saying Texas A&M is going to win the recruiting crown. We, we've talked about them almost every week, and their class just keeps getting better and better. Now, they're still only number three, but there's more, it seems seemingly more. On only the, number three? More, well, when you say they're going to win it all, there's more yeah. available, more on the board for them than the other. Not saying that Alabama or Georgia aren't going to close strong, but Texas A&M has the potential to close even stronger. Yeah, I mean, they're just in on the most prospects that are in the top 100 right now. It's plain and simple. Like, when we were writing the column, like, you have to go add this name. You have to go add this name. There's so many names that I just forgot about that Texas A&M is leading with. And do you want me to, like, just go down the list real quick? Sure. They're number three right now. They've got, is it 21 commitments? Is that right? Or is it 20? I believe they have 21. I think it's 21. Texas A&M, they're still in the the game for Jacoby Matthews, Shamar Stewart, Kelvin Banks, who just decommitted from uh, Oregon, Harold Perkins, and those are all five-star prospects. I just named four or five guys on there. And they already have three committed. And then you have top 100 players like defensive lineman Anthony Lucas of Scottsdale Chaparral, where the crush of my life went to high school in high school when I was in high school. Oh, are you okay? You over Chaparral? it? Chaparral? Yeah, I'm over it. Um, I think. <laughs> I don't know. I see pain on your face. Um, Cam Dewberry of Humble, Texas, which is just another uh, Houston area place. Edge rusher and I white of Philadelphia, and the Aggies realistically could be adding several top hundred players to that list. So, um. I think it's cool that Texas A&M seems to be the favorite right now, if I had to pick one, to win the first recruiting crown since 2010 by a school that isn't Alabama or Georgia, which is like a crazy thing to say. It's been more than a decade since one of those two teams didn't win one. Yeah. Who is um, – I was going to ask you a question. I don't know who I would uh, – what other school. Will USC win a recruiting crown in the next three years? I say yes. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you obviously do? we don't know. but um, I think they're going to sign top five classes starting in 2023 every year, but who wins the recruiting title is such a hard thing to predict because class size takes into account and, like, you know, it's just not always as simple as 
the best class doesn't always win the crown because sometimes the best class just has fewer commitments and you get points for three-star prospects that don't really figure into things. So I think that they are certainly going to be in the mix every year. Yeah, and the thing about USC, and you wrote about that today in This Week in Recruiting, is we knew they would he would recruit well. It's just the immediacy of it is the, the flipping the kids. Um, this 2022 class still has a long way to go. We kind of compared this to Jimbo Fisher, another coach who made a big Power 5 to Power 5 move, and he recruited well immediately, but it wasn't the immediate jumping into the top five. His, his has been more gradual, whereas Lincoln Riley is, is, is immediate, uh, making waves and, and – um, it's just going to be, and that certainly helps too. When his class at Oklahoma, his twenty twenty three class at Oklahoma, sure, was all stacked with Southern California. Right, it's, it's what I so, compare. It's like hiring someone's dad, who's in the dad yes. has that has triplets, and they're all awesome, like on your youth baseball or basketball team. Um, Does so, that happen a lot in the uh, baseball circuit in Nashville, Tennessee? It happened growing up. Someone had twins, actually, and um, they were always on his. You rated everyone from a one, two, or a three prospect. And this guy rated his sons as two, his twins as twos instead of ones, which was total bullshit. And then he would get additional ones. So if you followed that, well, the twi- what is ones like the best? The one? best. You get one, twos, and threes. They would rate the kids in the town. It was a small town, so he'd rate his own kids as twos. So then he would get an additional like he'd he'd like rate his kids as a four star. So he was able to go get three more five stars. It was total bullshit. And they were both good pitchers. So you can tell. Oh wow! And the, yeah. talk about parenting. Yeah, so um, you're still salty about that when yeah. you were, were you playing in the league at that point? Yeah, but my problem was I was a good player, but I wasn't a pitcher. So like whatever what, team I went on, were you a three? Got a good. I was a one, but I wasn't a pitcher. Most of the ones were pitchers. So wow, so that means you were even better than other players. I don't know. You got the one despite. Well, not being I just a pitcher. yeah, I could I, whatever. Um, okay, we talked about, and I know we're bouncing all over the place here, but there's just so much to talk about. We talked we about do. Frank Wilson being a huge hire. We, have, we haven't talked about this. What do you make of Kalen DeBoer at Washington hiring Courtney Morgan as his player personnel guy away from Michigan, his alma mater? I think that's a huge move. And, and, and Morgan worked with DeBoer, DeBoer one year at Fresno State. Like I, Michigan's right now is euphoric. They, they've, there's not, Michigan fans are ecstatic about everything. Like if this were la- if, almost made it, this almost made it into the recruiting. If this were, if this were last year when they were reaching in, 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 in Harbaugh lost and an alum as is to, to Washington, people would be flipping out. But right now, Michigan fans are too excited about everything else. I thought this was very surprising and a really good sign for DeBoer and Washington that they were able to get him. You know it would be a better sign? I, I wonder if like this is going to have an impact on Josh Cornerly. Well, he's tight, one of the- he's tight with, with – uh, is it Connerly or Cornerly? I always misspell it, so don't you I think it's like, fix that for me? Um Connerly, Connerly. Okay, well, you know, a kid from Seattle is at Rainier Beach High School, I think. Yes. Um, who Seattle? I mean, I think Washington has been involved and mentioned just because of the hometown team. But Michigan was a finalist, and evidently they're tight. So Connerly. Okay, I said it right, right? Yeah. Okay, I apologize. So, would you hire a staffer just to get one recruit? I would. Five star local kid after what's been going at Washington. Yes, yes I would. I'm just surprised that Courtney Morgan would want to do it unless they gave him more money and. You know more responsibility. You never know the reason for why people do those types of things, but yeah, that's certainly significant. Yeah, what do, what do you think? We don't talk a lot about what well, we did talk about a lot, a lot about Washington with with Lake. they suck. That's why we don't. I like the DeBoer hire. I thought he was really good at Fresno State. I think he's coming in at a good time with 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 uh, coaching change at Oregon. Obviously, 
USC is going to start cleaning up. But I, I like this hire, and I think you know I didn't didn't follow his recruiting closely at, at uh, Fresno State. It's not really fair. It's a different different animal recruiting to Fresno State to, to Washington. But I, I like this hire. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, you get somebody who was winning on the West Coast, which I think you probably have to do at Washington, right? And you have somebody who has to have certain ties to the state of California because if Washington's ever going to be as successful as it needs to be, it's not only going to need to lock down the Seattle area, but it's going to have to go into California. So, like, to me, it's always super hard to evaluate Group of Five to Power Five because Group of Five, um, there isn't the same type of data that you can compare in terms of how they were good at recruiting. And what you have is the results of how good the teams are. And Fresno State's been a pretty good football team. He had a great quarterback, um, Jay Kaner, who yeah, transferred from Washington and might be transferring back, although Jeff Tedford was hired today as the Fresno coach, so there's some speculation that he might not transfer now that Again? Ted- yes. You have this look on your face. Are you disgusted by that? No, I just I, I didn't know that happened. Yeah. I mean, left for health reasons two years ago. Evidently, he's got that uh, under control. So wondering if Hayner will transfer back to Washington, which would be crazy, or because he transferred because he lost the job uh, to five-star transfer Jacob Eason, who transferred from Georgia, and now he'd be going back and competing against back. a five-star local kid, Sam Heward. But I assume if he yeah, I wonder, I wonder uh, how that's going to play out. But Hayner's good. Yeah, kid's tough got, kid. Kid's got onions. Yeah, tough kid. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to run because I know I I knew you wouldn't. Did have you brought. did you say that Malik? Did you talk about the Malachi Nelson thing yet? No. Did he he committed when we did our pod last week? I thought he did. Yeah, I think so. Didn't he? Didn't he commit like Tuesday night or something? Oh, uh, maybe. I guess. Yeah. So, are there any updates? Did they get uh, um, Relique Brown? I think has committed since Relique Brown, five, five star, star two thousand. Yeah, I'm very curious to see how USC. You know, going from Washington to USC, how USC finishes their 2022 class, which ranks 90 right now. But um, yeah, I just thought it was interesting that they got three five star commitments in the week and a half since he took over Riley took over and I wanted to make sure that we talked about that for at least a second um I'm going down what else do we got Brent Venables at Oklahoma oh yeah so I, I think that makes sense yeah I think I was I'm it's war I'm warming to the idea uh we talked last week not a real natural fit there like some other places uh where Miami you got you know bring a former player back home um Matt Campbell, I don't really know how involved he was, but Venable's very well respected. Seems to really embraced being back at Oklahoma, and I might—I think I misspoke. Someone mentioned on Twitter. I think last week I said he was fired at Oklahoma. He wasn't fired. He was. Didn't they bring in Mike Stoops to be the co-coordinator at the time? And he just kind of was just a good time for a divorce. I think a amicable divorce between Oklahoma and Brent Venables. Obviously, he's uh, rejuvenated his career. So. I think that Oklahoma had to make a splash. Did they? I, I think they, they made the biggest splash they could have. Yeah, because I would, say, I would argue higher coordinators not making a splash. But we're not, this isn't just a coordinator. This is like a $2 million coordinator that's been in every single head coaching candidacy column in the last three years. Who in his press like conference Brett, Brett, told everyone he turned Auburn down, which is a, that's a big yeah. move. So, I think that this is about as high of a high of a splash you can get from a coordinator as possible. And it's a recognizable name. People know who he is. And like if people know who he is, then I think that's part of the uh part of the game. So it's interesting to me that Oklahoma now 
has gone overnight from home of the offensive guru who, you know, developed Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks to like a defensive minded coach. But it'll be very interesting to me to see how that translates into recruiting defensive players and whether or not Oklahoma, which greatest efficiency has been the last few years, unable to stop people. If that changes the way that they play defense there in the well, last few years of the Big 12. Did you see who they hired as coordinator? Who? Jeff Lebby from Ole Miss. Oh, he uh, – Ole Miss has a fun offense, doesn't it? Yes. So the speculation is that Arch Manning will now take a look at Oklahoma. I think he was tight like that Ole Miss offense there. So um, be interesting to see that offense, that height, that up-tempo offense with a defensive You know Arch Manning coach. is going to wait all the way till the end of December next year, right? Like we're a year away. He's not going to make it easy on people. Nor should he. He's going to make it. He's, he's, he's going to be another twelve months of speculation on that kid. He's made all the visits, but those weren't official visits. I don't think you can't because you can't make you can't take official visits until like after your. He's got more money than God. He can go wherever yeah, he wants, whenever yeah. he wants. Until Who cares after if it's official or unofficial. Yeah, until after your junior year. Yeah. Um, I think that's when the officials start. Um, Brent Pry, Virginia Tech. Does that do anything for, to you? I can tell by your face. Not really. I got I got a text message from um, a random. SID that said, if I asked you who Virginia Tech hired, could you tell me right now? And I blanked and I couldn't. And then I looked it up. I was like, oh yeah, Brent Pry. That's how exciting it was to me. So you're you're thrilled. Listen, what if he turns out to be like the greatest coach in the history of Virginia Tech football in ten years, like is that possible? Yeah, I mean, like I, I probably just don't not. Know. I mean, Frank Beamer had him. I don't. Yeah, I mean, Frank Beamer's. Yeah, no, I know, but like, yeah, you never know. In six years, Virginia Tech could win a national championship. For all we know, he was on. Uh, not. He was the last member of James Franklin's original staff at Vanderbilt to stay with him at Penn State. He was the linebackers coach. Is that why we're talking about it? No, because we're going through all of the uh, <laughs> dumbass. We're going through all of the new Power Five head coaches. So, but part of his. Part of the reason his the guy he replacing got fired was because he was a terrible recruiter. They didn't recruit in state. That staff they went to Texas, where a lot of them were from. Brent Pry got up there, said, and Brent Pry was a GA there in the '90s. He said, "We're we're going to recruit. We're going to recruit Virginia like it's uh, like it like like it should be recruited." And got a uh, a nice commitment. Benji Gosnell, the four star tight end from North Carolina. Do you know why he decommitted from Ohio State? Was that a uh, mutual parting, or did he just decommit? I don't know. When he was committed to Ohio State, he was ranked higher. So, but he's still three twenty five. That's still a solid four star. Yeah, still pretty good. Top fifteen. Uh, top 15 tight end yeah. you know anybody who's a top 15 player at their position is a really good player certainly a nice get yeah so that was uh that's a that's a program i still think in that division that has a lot of potential but now it's you've got north carolina recruiting where it is and miami who we know is going to recruit better there so life life's getting in and i don't think Pitt's going to turn into a recruiting juggernaut by any stretch but coming off one of their best seasons since the mid-70s so the the ACC Coastal may be maybe uh getting a little bit better um so any other notable commits we don't need to uh run down there are a ton of like notable happenings yes if you want me to run down a few things yeah go ahead um let me uh just get my notebook open here real quick and I'll read some of them off is that good podcasting to wait sure. 30 seconds while I open something? Okay, let's do it. I got it now here. Uh, Kobe McKenzie, a former Oklahoma commit from Lubbock Cooper, 
committed to Texas on Sunday. He's rated the number 131 overall player and the number 13 linebacker uh, in the country. And I think it's a nice get. That wouldn't have happened had Oklahoma kept their coach, probably. Uh, Three-star receiver Caleb Webb decommitted from East Carolina on Sunday and now uh, is trending towards Tennessee, top 500 player, number 444. Just had an official uh, four, visit to Tennessee and decommitted yes. right afterwards. So we know where that's four headed. Four-star Zeke Berry of Concord, California, committed to Michigan. And Keon Sab, who was a top 100 player who was committed to Clemson from IMG, decommitted after Clemson or after Venables left for the Oklahoma job. And now he's also trying to Michigan. So that'll be good. Um, here, do you want me to, do you want to talk about AJ Swan? Do you want me to give you the floor no, for that one? Why, you, you can do it. AJ Swan uh, decommitted from Maryland. He's a top 25 quarterback um, on November 30th. And then now committed to Vanderbilt on Sunday, which was like Mitch greatest day of your life. <laughs> Meeting you was the greatest day of my life. Ari. And then yeah. my wife second. Kids, well, I know. Now I got you on this podcast. Yeah. Um, Benji Gosnell, we already talked about. Um, I don't know how to say uh, Wesley Besanth's name. Was that how you would say it? Uh, Besanth, yeah. Besanth. Wesley Besanth of Miami Central. Um, top 200 player in the country committed to Miami before Cristobal took the job. Pretty good sign, right? Yeah. Um, Just maybe a local kid who wants to play for the Kings. Oh, here's another one. David Bailey. Yes. Stanford. Santa Anna, Matter Day. Stanford has a player, very good 66. class. Coming, Stanford is the number 10 class in America. Coming history. off their worst season since pre-Harbaugh, or maybe Harbaugh's first season, they were horrible down the stretch, recruiting very well. Top 10 class. Yeah. And it's That's, probably a small class, too. So if you look, do you have their, their average player rating is probably even higher than that. Maybe. Yeah, and I, like, I didn't realize that they had – this is a, a huge get for sure, but they're not like stacked with top hundred players, are they? Like what? What's, I don't think so. They much have a lot of top three hundred guys. Um, Stanford has eight four star prospects committed out of the twenty two, um, so it's not a small class. They've got twenty two commitments. Okay, my bad. Um, David Bailey is the highest rated commitment who just committed, but Ernest Cooper the fourth from Arlington Martin in Texas, number one fifty one. Kamari Ramsey, safety through four star, one sixty four. Um. Yeah, they've got six top three hundred players, so I don't think they're going to finish in the top ten because they don't have the the top heaviness. But like they have the number one class in the Pac twelve right now, and like part of that too is because Oregon. And I don't even know if we said it when we talked about Cristobal uh, <laughs> that uh, they lost three commitments. Did we in the last two days since Cristobal left? So. Um, now the door's open because USC's class only has like six commitments in 2022 and Oregon's class is about to fall apart. I'm very interested to see what uh, McMillan, the f- high-end four-star prospect from Anaheim, right. who's still committed to Oregon, ends up doing. Like The door is open for Stanford to sign the top class in the Pac-12 this year. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, if, that, that would be that would be coming off, you know, they would maybe even more so than Arizona down the stretch were the worst team in the league. They, they were just, I mean, nobody's worse than Arizona. Uh, Stanford was pretty bad down the stretch. Arizona like scored some points even. Um, yeah, and some things to look out for, Mitch, Yeah, if, if, you, if I should bring them out. Yeah. Um, Kamari Wilson, yeah. the number 24 overall player and the number one safety in the 2022 class is down to LSU, Texas A&M, and Georgia, and Florida State. He'll announce next Wednesday, which is the early signing period. Ernest Green out of uh, Matter Day, the number 46 overall player and the number two. No, no, St. John Bosco, not Matter Day. 
Uh, number 46 overall player in the number two interior offensive lineman in the 2022 class is down to four. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Texas. Uh, you told me that Alabama seems to be leading in this series, in this race. That's the that's, Harold Perkins. Yeah, is down to three schools: A and M, Texas, and LSU. He'll commit on January second at the Under Armour game, and I have to talk to you about probably going to that. Okay, because that's in San Antonio, right? Or There's one in Orlando. Oh, because we have several writers who. I'll are just go- stay with Andy. Because uh, we have several writers who are going to be down there for bowl games that I know are going. Like uh, oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. We oh, did. okay. I thought that the Army game um, got rebranded, but yes, the All American game is in San Antonio. I don't know when that is though. I think there aren't they usually the same time. Yeah, usually like one or two days apart. All right, a couple questions I want to get to from the mailbag. Yeah, let's. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Um, okay, this is we've really talked about this, but it's a good question, and we don't really need to go into it more. But if Mario uh, Cristobal returns to Miami, which we know he is. That would give you two elite recruiting staffs at Miami and USC. How much would them locking down South Florida and California, respectively, eat into the recruiting of Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, OU, Michigan, et cetera? <clears throat> Excuse me. That's kind of what that's the big picture stuff we've been talking about. How much of an impact will those two schools recruiting better affect the schools that are currently dominating recruiting, Alabama, Ohio State, um, in Georgia? In the, obviously we don't know, but if they can, if there's one or two, excuse me, top 100 kids a year who aren't going, who those schools are getting, or two or three who aren't going to those schools, you know, over time that'll have an impact. Um, but it's better for the sport if there are more recruiting powerhouses. But we just don't know if that's going to be the case. What well, we do at USC, they're, they're going to recruit top 50, top 100 kids. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think recruiting is like investing. It's like long, long-term dividends, you know, over time, over time, over time, and then one day you arrive at a nice little nest egg. So I think uh, we'll see, you know, but I, I think there's confidence here with some uh, some of the movements that that should be the case. Uh, who do you predict will have a higher recruiting ranking in 2023, Michigan or Notre Dame from Jeremy G? Notre Dame. I agree. Good head start. And here's one that will just make you feel good. From the, the questions from JV, but then David G comes comes uh got your barreling back. in. Yeah. With how with how all universe recruiters, I don't know, J V needs to work on his writing skills here. Uh Kirby and have fumbled well, how what? with how all universe, I guess like all world recruiters, Kirby and budget Kirby Mario have fumbled this week. He calls him Budget Kirby. Are you ready, Ari, to adjust your philosophy? Stars matter, but so does coaching. David G comes in and says, please share verbatim where Ari said coaching doesn't matter. Yes, he advocates the tremendous impact of collecting stars, but I don't recall Ari stating game coaching is irrelevant. I don't think people have the ability to understand context sometimes. <laughs> so wait, would it's you like, like to you, thank David G for coming, saving I, you? I appreciate that, David G. If you say something matters, that doesn't also mean that the other thing doesn't. Do we need to rebrand this podcast? Stars matter and then in parentheses, but so does coaching, culture, and everything else. It's like, what do I do? Like the sky is blue and then somebody's going to be like, well, what about the clouds, asshole? And it's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? It's like that it, to me is like the most aggravating thing about my job. You know what the most aggravating part of my job is? Editing me. Okay, good one. All right, <laughs> let's get to the question about. Uh, let's give me. Do you have your uh, your recruiting question? Yeah. Um, 
I like this one. I am fascinated to see how well you do on it. Who are the 10 most highly rated signees by Ohio State in the modern recruiting era from 2002 on? The highest rated ones? Yes. Oh, my God. I should know these off the top of right, my head. That's right. But so I don't know if I'm going to know them all. Uh, Chase Young is not on the list. He's, he's not one of the top rated players in the last 10 years up. that Ohio State signed. Are you kidding me? I mean, I just wrote it down from two four. Uh, if I got this wrong, then I, I think he was close. Obviously, he was close. But they've Ari, I've learned this from you. Ohio State signs good players. I mean, Chase Young was like a yeah. He was not okay, one of the well, top number 10. one. Was Quinn Ewers? I don't know if that counts. Yes, that counts. They signed him. Um, okay. So you, you've got JT, one wrong. Well, I know. Well, I know. I know that they signed three of them like in the last two years. JT Doom allows one. He is number Jack f- Sawyer okay. Is he's one. number four. Jack Sawyer's number five. Um, the Jabosa brothers are on there, right? Which one? Only one of them. Nick Bosa was rated higher. Okay, yes. So you've gotten four um, right, one wrong so far. Julian Fleming's okay. on there. I'm not making you get him in the right order either. I'm, I mean, there's no way I can get him in the right yeah. order. I don't remember. Is Julian Fleming one? Yes, he is number six. Are you sure Chase Young's not on there? Yeah. He is. He was rated a top 10 player nationally, so I don't even know how that's possible. He is their. He's their. He's actually 11. He's 12 on this oh, list, but okay. I'm not including Sam Maldonado, who was number 10, but that was from 2000. Oh, buddy, that was like five. That was like 20 years ago. Yeah, so that was before. He's on 247's database here, but he really. We're going 2002 and beyond. So Chase Young okay. would have been 11. And how, how far was the time frame back? Back to 2010? 2002. Like the modern era. 2002? Yeah. The modern oh, era of recruiting. Shit, Terrell Pryor. Okay. Pay attention. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was 10 years. Yeah, Terrell Pryor is number one, I think. Right? No, I, if we're, we're, Quinn Ewers is number one. Is. Okay. And then there's one. How many do I have to go from here? You've got, you need three more. Ted Ginn Jr. Yes, he's number three. Um, shit. Was Jeff Okuda one? Nope. Um... Noah Spence? Okuda is 12. Noah Spence is not on. Uh, yes, Noah Spence. You have two more. I, I missed. Okay. Paris Johnson Jr.? Nope. One of the guys is still on the team. One of them is not. One of them is still on the team. Five-star prospect. Nicholas petit Frere. Yes, number 10. Okay, I'm, and I'm missing one more? Yes. Five-star prospects who committed to Ohio State since 2003. Before you covered them. but is the Oh, ve- before ve- I covered them? Very notable name, though. I mean, every college football fan knows the name. It's either Maurice Claret or Beanie Wells. You are correct. It is either one of those two. It was one of those um, two. Uh, Beanie Wells. Correct. So you basically got 10 of 11. Chase Young was the one you didn't get. And he's 11. Well, Chase Young... I, I thought it was like the, wasn't he like the number six player overall nationally, which is insane because I didn't even know that they 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 got ten players that were higher rated than that. Chase Young was seven that year. Yeah, I mean that's insane to me that he's so I got all ten and I and I misguessed once. Yes, and then you got the so basically if I would have no, said I didn't get the top, Sam Maldonado, I wouldn't have gotten. No, Sam I, I removed him from the list because that wouldn't, he was two thousand. He was before. Oh, he's again okay. he's on the two four seven composite thing, but like we. As a staff, we've recently decided the modern era of recruiting is 2002. That was the first rivals. 
the year okay. rivals first had their their list. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny they they should remove Quinn Ewers from that though because he's always like, like was never on the team. Yes, he, I saw him take. That doesn't. I count. saw him hand the ball off. I wanted. You know at the bottom after you know the, the bottom. You know, I, I texted Landis during the game after the Michigan State game. I wanted his only his column to be about Quinn Ewers' handoffs and what he thought about the potential of. <laughs> that would have been a really funny story. Yeah, just like a thousand I words. I think that it's funny though that. Like you know that that area underneath the recruiting profiles that show you, um, I think that they list all the top ten or the top all time uh, prospects that they've ever signed just under on that list. That's where I got it from. Oh, it is. It's like Quinn Ewers is number one after all those great names in Ohio State lore history, like he, Terrell Pryor and Ted Ginn Jr. And, and he's, he won't like be cat. He won't be Beanie Wells. And it's like he won't be matched. Quinn Ewers' face is going to be sitting there for the next thousand that years. will be sitting as there. like the highest rated player that Ohio State's ever signed. That's hilarious. Yeah, he's uh, one point zero 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 is his rating. It will be funny to see if he wins a Heisman somewhere else, though. Will he? I mean, the easy answer is to say you, no. That's really nice of you to give me an Ohio State question and build me up a little bit after I get this wrong every week. Yeah, well, this was this was a gettable that one. I get one, most of mine are you just yes. sort of have to guess. This was a gettable one. Also, yeah, I mean, I covered recruiting for them for like ten years, so it's like I know that more than anything. This is what like probably our fifteenth podcast. Yeah. So I mean, I'm it's going well. I, yeah, it's going great. I love doing it, but I'm running out of questions. That's my you know. We're, yeah, well, that you have a whole week now to come up with another one. I usually yeah, I do a Monday morning usually, so I spend a little time. Um, so, oh, one other thing we didn't talk about. Another five-star commit for your Buckeyes. Sonny Styles. For my Buckeyes? Yeah. You're going to perpetuate that? Yeah. Well, you know what? When, when I, we first started working together, I thought you went to Ohio State. I was shocked that when I found out that you went to Arizona. Um, why? Because everybody who covers a team had to go to the school they covered? No, not at all. Bill Landis didn't. Or because I was just a big-ass homer. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't know. You just knew so much about him. You're so ingrained institutional knowledge of Ohio State football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Which is good. A decade of my life is a third of my yeah. life. So, so, so Sonny Styles, who um, I can't say that name without thinking of Harry Styles. I've been to a uh, One Direction concert, by the way. Um, have you? No, I've never been to a One Direction concert because I'm an adult man. I took my 13-year-old daughter at the time. Okay, that's your only excuse. Yeah, and there was like... My old mentor, uh, who I used to cover Ohio State with at Cleveland.com, Doug Maurice likes One Direction on his own. That's a choice he's made? He No, he likes them. Like, he would listen to their music alone. Okay, it's interesting. Um, a lot of good One Direction songs on my daughter's uh, Zoe's playlist at our bar mitzvah, or bat mitzvah. I will say, having a daughter yeah. now for going on two two and a half months, my... Head's about to explore with all those baby songs that are like playing in our house all the time. Yeah, you just, do your ears hang low? Do they waddle to the floor? Do they, you <laughs> know? It's like all these like little baby songs, and she's like, ah, and it's like cute, but like I just like when they're three, four, and five, and they're watching cartoons and the Disney movies on YouTube and stuff. It just like it's gonna make my ears bleed. So, yeah, is she a four star right now? The baby? My daughter yeah. is a five-star. She's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my entire she life. She is perfectly shaped. You sent me a picture of her doctor. Yeah, she, she is just, that's what everybody says. Everybody says that her face is perfect. Like, so well-proportioned. Yeah. You know, most babies have big heads and they're like... She has a pretty big head. Yeah, uh, but, but it's perfectly round. It's just, you know... Okay. Thank you, Mitch. Five-star. Nice. Five I think she's a really pretty girl. I, I know that there are ugly babies out there. There are. And like babies who are ugly, it's not an indication of whether they're going to be ugly when they're older. It's just like their faces are all mangled because <laughs> they're still developing. Like my kid actually has 
a beautiful face. So I hope that that continues when she's older and she's not like in reverse where she's beautiful now and then it becomes People are saying, what happened to you? You were so such a cute baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that could happen. You never know. But like for now, she's a pleasure to look at. And she's now starting to smile. And like the first month of parenthood was complete drinking out of a fire hose and complete with anxiety. And now I am come into the portion of parenthood where I'm absolutely and completely obsessed. Good for you. I still it, think I'm probably a four star father, but she's a five star. It gets prospect. better. There's some there's some yeah. bumpy roads ahead, but yeah. it, it gets better. Um, all right, you want to uh, you want to log us off here? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to the most recent episode of Stars Matter. Uh, it feels really good, Mitch, and I'll speak for both of us to say that we are not trapped in the jail cell of behind a paywall uh, for the time being. And I hope that this has been able to reach you when you otherwise wouldn't have been able to hear it if you. Or listening for the first time, we thank you so much for uh, you know coming along. And if you are a previous listener who has come back, we love you very much. So uh, we are going to continue to hit the ground really hard in the next week before the early signing period. Uh, there will be more in the Andy Staples feed. Uh, and again, we appreciate all of you for listening. For Mitch Light, I was Ari Wasserman. That was Stars Matter. Stars Matter.